Hi, and welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast. Every week, we will talk to the great, the good, and the legendary from the worlds of food, drink, marketing, and business to help give you the advice that will really help your brand boom. A huge thanks to our headline sponsors, the award-winning Engage Interactive. Engage Interactive have been helping hospitality businesses like yours prepare for a mobile and digital first world since 2007. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. So today I'm really excited. I've got a night out with my mates and we're going along to the Foghorn, which is our local, which we love so much. So I'm really excited about that. Today I speak to the MD of a brewery who I found out from my visits to the Foghorn and I'm a massive, massive fan of. We were put in touch by a lovely fella called Nicholas Barrera. So thanks, Nicholas, for that. I didn't know much about them, but I do now, and it's First Chop Brewery. And I'm so glad to meet, at last, Rick, who is the MD of First Chop Brewery. And we have a wee Zoom chat, and it's August at the moment. I was first introduced to First Chop, as I say, at the Foghorn, and I was also choosing off their menu to have a canned, very cold, beautiful, gluten-free lager. And when I had it, a couple of the boys were scoffing about it, but we all had a taste and thought it was absolutely superb. So I've continued to drink it when I'm up there, as opposed to some of the more hot-forward things that can cause trouble if you have too many. So the Foghorn's a great wee pub, and that's where I first discovered this. So it was just so great to see the collection. And I think First Chop Brewery, if I'm right in saying, maybe echoes that kind of way. So for it to make it down to big old Brighton and be punching above its weight down here is absolutely brilliant to see. So it was great to hear the story and talk to Rick and hear more about the brewery, the beer, their philosophy, which is really strong, and what plans they have for the future. So it gives me the most hail to the ale and cheers to the beer pleasure ever to introduce a new friend on the show today and hopefully a great guest. I'm really excited about talking to him after a few false starts. That was my fault. Uh, It's the really exciting First Chop Brewery MD, Rick Garner. Hello. Hiya. And where are you in the world today? Are you Eccles or... Uh, no, I'm actually, I've come home for a little bit of peace and quiet, so I'm uh, I'm just about two miles from Manchester City Centre. Excellent. So tell us a wee bit about you first before we go into First Chop and, you know, where your sort of passion for beer and getting into, you know, the brewery style business sort of happened for you, you know, how far back was that? I've always loved <laughs> I've always loved beer. What, what a thing to say, but I've always had a passion for beer. So, so I think it was possibly my 15th or 16th birthday. I can't remember if it was my birthday or if it was, my, it was probably actually one of my parents' birthdays. And we went out for dinner to, um, it's not there anymore, sadly. Um, but there was a fantastic restaurant in Manchester called the Market Restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, looking at life, if I saw the beer menu now, I don't know if I'd be that impressed with it. But as a 15 year old kid, when my dad said, you can have a beer if you want. And I saw their beer menu. I, I was like, wow. And um, he, he let me uh, he let me have a beer with, with our meal. And I think it was a, 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 I chose an imperial stout of all things. Oh, geez, oh. 
yeah. um, top shelf. Yeah, and uh, it, it was fantastic. And and I've always had a passion for good beer ever since, really. And I've had um, I, I started off life as a, as a chef, um, and I, and then I've, I've owned a couple of bars and a couple of restaurants. And one thing that's always been a constant is that we've had a, a great list for beer. So I think it, it's possibly about 17 years ago now, we op- I opened a place in, in Wally Range in Manchester called Jam Street Cafe. And it was uh, sort of like a greasy spoon by day, but we made the best breakfast in Manchester. And then in the evenings we did tea and you could come and you could, and it was freshly cooked every day. And you just had a choice of either a, meat dish or a vegetarian dish but we had a great beer selection we had a local cast beer from highs brewery which was half a mile down the road at the time and a small carefully selected um selection of of mostly belgian ales because it was a little bit before the sort of craft beer boom happened but i think we were probably the only place in the uk at the time where you could get a, a flanders red ale with your um with your full english (laughs) <laughs> brilliant and then like from there then you know from from sort of the business side of things then what was the the hop skip and the jump to getting across to you know being the managing director of a brewery so after uh jam street i started a business called the first shop um and the first shop is where the first shop brewery was was born so the first shop full title is first shop brewing arm so the 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 original business the start of the business was the first shop and the first shop was a, a bar and kitchen in north manchester in ramsbottom and we did um basically small plates inspired by the sort of local cuisine and the local food um and again because of my passion for beer we had a we had a great selection of beers and um bought beer from local microbreweries and and there were some beers that I was importing or that that I was buying from a little bit further afield and I was thinking why can't a local brewery produce this type of beer and it it was just as the the real hoppy IPAs were sort of coming into vogue I suppose and uh, and and I kind of wanted to make something along those lines. what What were the first ones that you came across then? Um, so the, the first one of, of, of that kind of style, I guess, was Brewdog Punk IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we used to sell that in casks. There was a guy in Manchester who used to bring it down from from Aberdeen, and and the the the, the casks themselves were hand stenciled. Would you believe? Um, not like the you know the massive place that it is now. Um, and it was stuff like that, and some of the, some of the American stuff, um, probably that you'd think was quite mainstream now. But but back then, it was you know it was kind of more unusual, and you didn't see so much of it. Well, I remember it. Uh, I worked with Bartley Card, and I get sent over to America a few times, and I was over in Delaware, sitting at the bar, you know. And then you had things like, and as you say, they they seem like standard now and really big and bit. Back then, it was Sierra Nevada, Blue Moon, Dogfish Head, Moose Head, maybe as well, and all these. And you were just like, you know, your mind was blown. You'd never tasted anything like Sam Adams as well. You know, you yeah. never tasted anything like it, never seen anything like it at the time. You know, it was 
are spoiled yeah. now, of course, but back then this was exciting stuff, you know. Yeah, Sierra Nevada, that was definitely a big one. Brooklyn stuff. Brooklyn, yeah, yeah. Um, Anchor, um, you know, all of those things. Yeah, like say this, you know, we probably considered quite mainstream now, but they seemed exotic and different back then. And and I, and I really thought, well, I I should be able to make this here a mile up the road. Um, and I approached the local microbrewery and they happened to have like a, a pilot kit, which was a 400 litre brew length. And I said, would you let me come and brew my own recipe on your kit and just see what happens? Um, so I, I produced 10 nine gallon casks. And the idea was that the worst case scenario those 10 nine gallon casks I could sell to a week in the, in the bar and, uh, you know, before it went off, it, it'd be gone and hopefully people enjoyed it. I, I, I took, I actually cleaned out a, a pint milk bottle, a plastic milk bottle, put the first one on in, in the, in the first shop bar and from the, from the cask filled up, a milk bottle and took it to Port Street Beer House in Manchester. And Port Street was a, was a big, it was probably the, the place to go and drink sort of good quality craft beer. It was like the, 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 the first place in Manchester really that was doing lots of serious scale, lots of really, really good beer. And um, I spoke to a lad called Will, who was managing the place at the time, sat down, was really enthusiastic about it, really liked it, really, really liked the idea of what I was doing. And um, I happened to have two casks in my boots at the time, which I was taking back to the, to the bar. And he said, is that your car outside with the two casks in the boot? And I said, it is, yeah, yeah. Can I buy those two? Said, yeah, of course you can. So that was my first sale. Nice. Um, How much did you charge for those? Off the top of my head, I think they were around about £65 for a nine. Um, yeah. and that was the, I think that was like about the going rate at the time. Um, and, uh, and, and really, I've not looked back since then. It went on the bar in Port Street and, and the phone started ringing. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Hey, it's Sam Brown here from Toggle. You may have already seen some of the work we do in partnership with the likes of Rose's Tie, The Alchemist, Yummy Pubs, Coat, and thousands of other locations. Toggle allows you to sell gift cards, experiences, promotions, and even retail products online and in your venues. There's no contract, so you can use it however suits you best. With Black Friday and Christmas approaching at the end of such a tough year, we wanted to make Toggle accessible to everyone risk-free. So the first £1,000 worth of gift card sales is now on us. No charge. Just visit usetoggle.com to learn more. The, the idea I'd had was, this was midway through 2002, and I thought every two months in, sorry, 2012, I thought every two months in 2012, I'll do a 400-litre brew. And the same thing in 2013. And then just look back, see how I got on, see whether people liked the beer, see whether I thought it was a, a viable business. Um, by October 2012, 
I'd got orders in one week for more beer than I'd planned to brew over the entire two years. Jesus. And um, and I, that day, I kind of looked at that and thought, right, there's something, you know, something's happening here. Um, I will buy a microbrewery. <laughs> so I sold, I had an old car that, that was sitting in a garage, not really doing much. I'd had it for a few years and it was sort of slow, slowly creeping up in value. So I sold that to raise a, I got £22,000 for this old car. Um, a couple of friends invested a little bit of money and um, I, I bought a microbrewery, rented a railway arch in Salford and started making beer. And then the first shop journey began. So what, what was the first beer then? What, is it still in the range today? It is, yeah. The first beer I ever made was Hop. Uh-huh. still make Hop now. Um, we got a, a Guild of Fine Foods two-star Great Taste Award for it about three years ago. Um, and, yeah, it's still one of our best sellers. And I, I think that's, that's one beer that I'll always make. We've tweaked it a little bit over the years. Um, but, yeah, that's, it's, it's still there. And I think it always will be. And the second beer that I made was... Um, was Ava, um, mm. is our 3.5% hoppy blonde. Um, and that was a beer that I designed pretty much for myself. That's my kind of beer. Loads and loads of flavour, but only 3.5%. So you can, you know, you can sit down, you can have five or six pints of it, and you can still stand up at the end of the night. Yeah, yeah. And what about the artwork and the design and all the rest of it? You know, did that look much different at the start or you know how did that come about it did it was it was quite different at the start um and after about then we had a rebrand after about two and a half three years um so it was all very at the beginning everything was lots of friends were involved in helping out and the original artwork and packaging all of the artwork that had been done for it was on somebody's hard drive and they i can't remember if they lost their computer if their computer broke or the hard drive got wiped basically it all got lost so all we had was the stuff that was printed and at that point we were kind of thinking about refreshing it getting it to be a little bit more professional we we had tiny little round stickers that we were hand applying onto bottles at the time and we were getting to the point where we were sort of getting inquiries from supermarkets and there was more information that needed to go onto the cans we're just starting to do the gluten-free beer as well and that meant more information going onto the cans. so it's time to kind of have a have a have another look at it and it, it was a good point to do it um and that's when we got stan chow on board I mean, it took about six months to to get to the to to where it is now. We had a little change along the way as well. We've we've, we've had a stance on a little mini rebrand for us, just really really simplified things. About three years ago, I think. Now we're happy and comfortable with with what we've got now. I, I think it's great, and you know, when Nick Nicholas got in touch with me about interviewing you, you know, when he said like where you were from, like it was really distinctive like in my mind because I'd had the gluten-free lager um, from 
our local, which is the Foghorn in Port Slade in Hove. And uh, yeah, I just I just really remember the name, the packaging, how good it was, you know, and I come across these things a lot, you know, so it was like a real chance thing. It's like, no way, like Rick, Rick's of MD, that just great. You know, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, because sometimes when you go into a lot of the craft pubs, there's just so much on that is all hop forward. It's a bit much, you know, when I'm getting old and all of these things, as you see, it's quite nice to be able to stand up at the end of the night. Um, <laughs> so, you know, having having the lager was was brilliant, you know, and because it was from Manchester, you know, there's always an affinity with Glasgow and Manchester as well, you know, so that made it even better for me, you know, but I've, it's, it's been a, a regular thing if it's ever been in stock there that, you know, we've, we've all had it, you know, other boys, so it, it, brilliant, you know, really, really good. So, I mean, what about the scale in the beginning then? You know, how did you handle the demand? You know, were, were you over capacity at the micro uh, brewery as well? Uh, no. So when we when I started in Salford, we were uh, eight brewers barrels. So we were about 1,400 litres and we would brew three times a week. Um, and that, that, would, that was keeping us kind of ticking over. And then 20... 16 we were pretty much starting to get to our capacity i was thinking in a couple of years time i'm going to need somewhere bigger um, and that fitted in nicely with i had a five-year lease on the railway arch so i was thinking when this lease comes to an end i'll be looking for some bigger premises and looking at expanding but that was a crazy year in july that year i fell off my bike and smashed my knee to smithereens. Hello. So I, I was out of action for a while. Um, whilst I was out of action <laughs> for a while, we had a, an electrical fire in the brewery, mm. and um, the whole place was written off. I was on extremely high doses of morphine at the time for the, for the pain. <laughs> when they phoned me up, I was, it was like water off a duck's back. I was just, yeah, whatever, it doesn't, oh, we'll sort it out. Yeah, no, that sounds cool, yeah. I think it's the better, uh, 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 the best, the best um, painkiller to be on when something like that yeah. happens. So yeah, that was uh, that was that was an interesting time, but it it, it brought forward the expansion, and uh, I made a decision about three months, four months after it after it had happened that it's, it, it 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 wasn't viable to go back into the railway. Actually, we had to find somewhere bigger, and that's how we ended up moving out to Eccles. Um, and 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 getting somewhere where we could we had the space to grow yeah um and when i think about it now when we put all of our kit in that in the art in the, in the unit that we're in now in Eccles, it just looked like a tiny little thing in the corner yeah yeah um and, and we've grown we've grown to fill it and we're looking at now um over the next couple of months um putting a mezzanine in there because we're running out of space it's a beautiful old building. It's a, it's an old. Um, they used to make engines there for uh-huh. industry. They made giant engines that would run uh, machinery in factories. Um, and this is one of the old engineering sheds. It's about um, I don't know about thirteen or fourteen meters high. The pitch roof. Half of the roof is glass, so it's daylight all day. It's a, it's a lovely place to work when you when you've been in a cave basically in a railway arch for three years and you're suddenly working somewhere where where you're in daylight <laughs> all day so it's a big difference but um yeah we, we really like it there Sweet. i don't think i'll ever become bigger 
than 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 that space. But then I said that about the railway arch when we went in there. So who yeah. knows? Who you knows? Just know. You just never know. Alex from Engage here, and thanks for tuning in to the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Each week, we'll be bringing you a great tip to supercharge your own digital marketing. And this week's comes from Shri, our head of SEO. Now, it's common to see menus on websites listed on one page, just linking to different PDFs. Now, whilst this doesn't hurt search, because PDFs can be indexed, there's a better solution. Creating web versions of these menus allows you to target customers looking for specific meals. Rather than a brunch menu PDF, you can have a brunch menu page that can now target people looking for brunch in your specific location. Have a kids menu? Use the page to target people searching for child-friendly restaurants in your location. As long as the menus are different, with unique URLs, you can do this for lunch, dinner, special offers, two-for-ones, and any other menu you offer. It's worth still providing PDF menus as a fallback to give the customer the choice of how they want to digest your information, but always lead with a web-based menu for the most search engine impact. If you need help getting your brand more visible online, then head over to engageinteractive.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you can see how we've helped some of the UK's most ambitious and successful hospitality brands with their own digital marketing strategies. Cheers, and enjoy the rest of the episode. And then yeah. what were the beers themselves then? Like, what was the sort of blueprint for then expanding the range? And then also, did you always go out with the intention of gluten-free, etc., Or is it just something that kind of happened and stuck? It's something that happened and stuck. So my, my ex, my daughter's mum, is celiac. Right. And at the time, when we first started, she was... Um, she was doing a master's. She was doing a part-time master's and she was working for us a, a little bit, doing a bit of um, sales a couple of days a week. And um, I went to the Braubeviali in uh, Nuremberg and I met a guy over there who was working for the company that makes the enzyme that, that removes the gluten from the beer. And I got chatting to him and it, it's a, it's a, it's something that you put into the beer to help help clarify it, but but the, the sort of side effects or an added advantage of it is that it, it breaks down the proteins, therefore it breaks down the gluten and it removes a lot more gluten than the beer than normally would be removed. I mean, there's only very, very tiny amounts of gluten in beer anyway, mm-hmm. but it only takes a very, very tiny amount of gluten to, um, you know, make, a, make someone who's celiac ill. And, and I kind of I just had this moment, thought, well, if I can make gluten-free beer, the person that's selling my beer can drink it and know what they're talking about. And know. <laughs> so we had a, a, a live guinea pig for the first sort of couple of years while we were making, while we, while we were sort of developing the, the recipes and developing the gluten-free side of things. And she'd sort of, you know, she'd have a little taste of it and tell us if, <laughs> if she got a rash the next day. Oh, God. Um, so yeah, it was it was kind of um, I, I could see that there was a, a market for it, and and I could understand from my own sort of personal relationships that you know people did want to drink beer and did want to drink gluten free beer, and also at the time I was still working in the in the bar. I still had quite a bit quite a bit to do with the bar, and we were um, obviously selling my beer in in the bar as well. And I'd have regular customers who'd come in and I'd say, oh, do you want to try this new one that we've made? And, and quite a lot of them were saying, 
I'd love to. I love ale, but I can't drink it. It makes me feel bloated. I can have three pints and then that's it. But I can drink lager. And this made complete sense to me that they, they, they must have like some kind of mild intolerance to gluten because lager has much, much lower levels of gluten than ale does. So I thought here's a way that these, these guys who don't want to drink ale, even though they love it because it makes them feel bloated, can actually... If, and I tried them out. I said, right, okay, well, we're starting this gluten-free stuff. See, see how you feel after a few pints of gluten-free beer. And, they, and, and all of them were like, wow, this is amazing. I can drink, I can drink ale again. And I don't get that bloated feeling. And it was just the, the small amounts of gluten that are left in it that were having an effect on them, basically. And, and, and with, with the gluten-free stuff, they were absolutely fine. So there's quite a few happy um customers and I, I thought well you know in a small bar in a small town in north manchester if you can get that many happy customers with some you know with some gluten-free beer then well the rest of the country must be calling out for it as well and that's 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 where we've gone and it doesn't taste any different it doesn't make any different it doesn't it's, it's not like when you take the, the the fat out of butter you know and it's not butter anymore there's so little gluten in in beer anyway and 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 you want you don't want the gluten in the beer. It's not something that needs to be in there. It's not something that adds anything to it. When you make beer, one of the major parts of the process is, is removing the, that, that part. You know, it's in your raw ingredients, but what you want from those raw ingredients is not gluten. It's the sugars, um, and, and they, they just happen to be there. Um, but the more of it you can take out, the better the beer, really. So it kind of kills two birds with one stone. And what about the range then, like, how did you decide in which order to, you know, sort of make them? And also, how did you know what to do? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, the range just grew organically. Um, quite a lot of the time we'd react to, to what people were asking us. Oh, you know, I wish you'd do this or I wish you'd make this or why don't you make this? Um, and, and and then before we knew it, we had twelve different beers, um, and some some of the beers were born out of you know wanting to red, for instance. Yeah, red came about because one of my personal favourite beers is a red ale, and there was a particular red ale that I tried and I loved it, and I thought, right, I've got to have a go at you know, got to see if I can make something as good as this. Can you see which one it was? Uh, Magic Rock Rapture. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, love it. Um, I've not had it for years, actually, but it, it used to be one of my favourite casks back back in the day. Um, and yeah, red red came about because I, you know I kind of wanted to do my own my own version, really. And then what about being sort of product focused? So you scaled back a lot of your events, and they were getting in the way of the beer a little bit. You know, is that a good decision? Has that been paying off for you? The events were brilliant. Whilst 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 they were happening, it it was great. But it was work hard all week, party hard all weekend, and then repeat. And and you get to a certain age where you just can't do that anymore. And and <laughs> um, we, and, and before even before the fire, we were kind of. Um, 
we were doing less and less on the events side of things. Um, but we had a guy working for us, very, very, very keen on doing the events, and he was sort of driving all that side of things. Um, he moved moved away, moved out of the country, um, and sort of without him there pushing that, it, it naturally became like we were doing less events. Um, and when we moved to to the new site in Eccles, it was it was impossible to do events there. It's a little bit too far out. It's on a very sort of private, quiet industrial estate. So the, 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 the other tenants there and the landlord wouldn't be very happy about um, 300 people being in the car park at two o'clock on a, on a Sunday morning. And, and also the, the other thing that had an effect on it, when we moved into the Arch in Salford, there was nothing anywhere around us but as we were only there three years but quite a lot happened quite a lot of things popped up around us flats were built hotel opened just about 100 yards from our front from our front door um and once the hotel opened that was pretty much the end of the parties um because the arch was kind of flared at the end you went up a ramp to get inside it mm-hmm. um and it was like a giant trumpet and we had uh, a 5,000 watt um, sound system with these two giant 18 inch um, plywood sort of reggae style scoops that pumped out an unbelievable amount of bass. Everything in the area vibrated. And suddenly they were pointing down this giant trumpet at a hotel. And um that was the end of that. We were sort of vibrating people out of bed, I think, at four o'clock in the morning. And the, the, the people from the hotel came and had a, a polite word with us. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it's, the, the fun was over. But it was, it, was a, it was a good time for the fun to be over. It was time to concentrate on making beer. And I wouldn't do anything any different. But, but you know, those, those times had to come to an end. And what about uh, larger cans? Where do you stand on this? Because being a thirsty Scotsman and all the rest of it, then I'm always in favour of that. But uh, are you going to do something about the feedback that people want that? Hmm, interesting. We've not had a great deal of feedback, people asking for larger cans. Um, So I'm quite happy with 330 mils at the moment. Um... I, I like the 330 mil format. I like the fact that your beer's cold from the start to the finish. I like mm. drinking a half pint rather than a, than a pint. I've always been a little bit, I've always been a fan of the, the half pint. I, you know, quite like what's in my glass to be fresh. You mm. can have two half pints if you want, yeah. you know, if you want to have a pint. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm, there's no plans to do bigger cans anyway. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. As the finance experts in hospitality, BDO have the experience and the insight to provide solid foundations for your business's future growth. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed. If you're in need of a dedicated transactional team bolstered with corporate finance, audit and tax services, 
Talk to BDO, who've got the right expertise, knowledge and experience to drive your restaurant or bars business throughout their full life cycle. As thought leaders across the sector, BDO offers commercial and technical updates specifically tailored to restaurants and bars, including their annual hospitality reports. BDO also have a well-established network in the industry that spans across finance directors, suppliers and advisors, and they are always willing to use this to their clients and their contacts' advantage. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how they can help take your hospitality business to the top. And please say that I sent you. And what about what's next? So, you know, you've got the business to where it is today, which is fantastic. And obviously everything that's going on at the moment, you know, to, to still be around is great. You know, what what have you got to do over the next sort of 12, 18, 24 months to, to take the business to the next level? So we're launching three new beers uh, in sort of October, November time which we're hoping are going to be a big success. We're, we're at a point, really, where the majority of our cans are plain cans with labels on. We've got a, a, a distribution um, channel who take enough of these three new beers for us to put them into pre-printed cans, which is great. And I'd like to get more of our products into pre-printed cans. Um, I think they just look nicer. Um, they... They're easier for us to deal with because we don't have to change a roll of of, um, labels to go on the cans. They're better environmentally because they've not got the the plastic label on them. Um, So looking to get more of our products into the pre-printed cans. And I'm going to start working more on uh, the export side of the business. Um, So currently we export to Italy. Um, and I want to, 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 to get some more soft partners um, outside of the UK for, for the export. And, and the other thing that I, I want to try and do is um, we've just launched a, a low alcohol beer, 0.5% uh, IPA, and I want to increase our sales of the, of the low alcohol beer and try and get, get more, more of that out there. Well, it's quite interesting. It's a 0.5 IPA. You know, a lot of people are sort of going with, you know, just lagers and things like that. But that's great if you're you're going for you know fuller flavour. Yeah, it's um, they can. T- I mean, alcohol-free beers can tend to be quite sort of thin and tasteless. Um, and, and one of the ways around that is to make an IPA and to put a hell of a lot of hops in it, which is what we do. You know, it's got more hops in than any any of our other beers. Um, and it's it's become my go-to beer now. Um, it's probably my favourite in the range, um, and like like Ava back in the day, I kind of designed that one for myself. The yes, it's called our anytime IPA. That one was designed for me as well, <laughs> so I can drink thirty cans of that and still remember my own name. Thirty. Well, I think zero point five percent. Ten cans is the equivalent of one can of a regular IPA. So. Yeah, I could, I've never drunk. That's theoretically, I could drink thirty cans of it. Yeah. I've never actually drunk more than about five. <laughs> I was going to say, Jesus Christ, that's good. Yeah, and then so, what else is next then? You know, in terms of keeping expanding, is there any other parts? You know, in terms of anything outside of brewing, you know, making the brand bigger in other ways. 
going into you know different verticals or is it just sticking with that single product focus i think it's going to be a single product focus yeah um i'm quite happy to to concentrate on beer and to put all my energy into to doing what you know the one thing that we do to the best we can really well before I let you go, because I know you're busy and you've got stuff to get done and we need to open windows and get cool again and all that stuff. <laughs> just a couple of wee fun questions, which is mark out a 10 that we do at the end of each episode. So what's your best city to eat in? My best city to eat in? Wow, that is a, that is a question. Uh, I love seafood. Uh-huh. Um, so my best city to eat in. At this moment in time... There's a little place on the beach in Tynemouth, which is just outside of Newcastle, oh. called Riley's Fish Shack. Mm-hmm. And these guys put two shipping containers on the bottom of a cliff, on the, on the sort of the, the concrete path that goes from one beach to another, on the bottom of the cliff. Um, and he's put a couple of wood-burning um, ovens in there and a grill. And he buys his fish off the day boats in the morning and he cooks it until he's run out. And it's simple, fresh fish on a beach in any weather. I believe I've only been in winter when it's been a bit cold and a bit windy and you still have to wait. But I believe three hour waits are not um, out of the ordinary in summer. Wow. Fantastic. Absolutely stunning location. Amazing food. Um, so it's not it's not a city. It's it's a it's Tynemouth. It's a little town north of Newcastle. That's cool. We can let that in. And then that's your, is that your best restaurant as well? Or is there somewhere else? My best restaurant. Wow. Um, so I like cafes in back streets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Better than restaurants. There's a great little place near me called, it's just called the Curdy Stanny restaurant. And, um, there's about six tables in there. It's down a little back street. They do the best, the best Kurdistani kebabs, the best naan breads that are like, I don't know if you'd even call it a naan bread. It's like wafer thin and light as air. And then they do these amazing kebabs and, it, and, it, and you, you can, they put the, the, the food is falling off the edges of the table. You get so much and it costs seven pounds. Oh, nice. <laughs> and um, so there's places like that. They're places that I really, really love to eat. Places where you can sort of go two or three times a week, and and and, and um, you know, it's, it's almost cheaper than cooking at home. Um, if you were talking about a fancy restaurant, well, like a you know a special occasion kind of place, we recently went to. Um, so I bought I bought my daughter tickets for Lollapalooza in Paris for a Christmas present, and uh, festival was cancelled. But we went to Paris anyway, and she asked if she could go to this place called Giraffe, which is on a terrace overlooking the Eiffel Tower. Um, it's quite famous, apparently. Anyway, seafood is their speciality. And um, I bought myself this giant plate of seafood there, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, so if it was a special occasion, and, and also the setting, um, the location... If it was a special occasion, I think I'd probably plump to go there again and eat my own body weight in uh, in seafood. <laughs> nice. And then have you got a best pub or bar? Ooh. Um, 
I've always loved the King's Arms in Salford. Uh-huh. The first time I ever walked into the King's Arms, they've got the best jukebox in Manchester, stroke Salford, um, and it's free. There's a, there's a like a theatre and an arts venue upstairs in the attic. It's, it's independent. It's a lovely place. It's really, uh, and the first time I walked in there, Public Enemy was blasting out. Oh, nice. And somebody was in the middle of the... You can't call it a dance floor because it's not a dance floor. In the middle of the pub, somebody was spinning on the head. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I'm like, I've just never forgot that. I kind of saw something out of the corner of my eye. Something moved quickly and I turned around and it was this guy's feet spinning around in the air. And I thought, yeah, this is, this is my, my kind of pub. Yeah, well, uh, and it's been a favourite of mine ever since. Nice. Like, well, I remember uh, we get just next to the Watchmaker's Arms, actually, that I'm sure will sell your, your beers. Um, there's a great hairdresser. It's all about kind of hipster and skateboards and rusty scissors hanging up and all that nonsense, you know, axes and all that. But um, when you ever go and get a haircut there, it's all, you know, public enemy blasting or full appetite for destruction, guns and roses on a Saturday morning, you know, it's just absolutely brilliant. It's a great place to go. And what about your best drink then? You know, if not one of your own, but, you know, what's your, your ultimate go-to that's not one of yours? Wow. I wasn't expecting that question. I'd forgotten. You, you did send me a little list of the things yeah. you were going to ask me, and um, I, I, I forgot about that one. What would I... I think rather than, than picking a, a, particular, a particular beer, what I really like is if I'm traveling or I'm away from home, I like to find something that's local to where I am, something that's produced locally on a small scale and it, and, and it's sort of of, the, of that area. So, for instance, when I was in Paris, I, I went to a couple of places and they were, they were selling this local Parisian craft beer, like an unfiltered blonde ale. And it was really, really tasty. It's, it's not something that's particularly... Um, you know, just a really, really good example of what it was, and it was made locally, and it and it just felt like the right thing to drink where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think that's my favorite my favorite drink. It's not necessarily about um, a particular drink. I think it's about a moment um, when you have it, where you have it, and it's nice to have something great and local that's from where you are, and and just you know. I don't for for a brewer. I'm probably the most sober brewer in in the world. I don't drink a great deal, but when I do, I like to really savor it and enjoy it. And mm. and, it, and it's a, almost like every drink I have is a special occasion for me. Um, and it, and it's nice to have something that's appropriate to the to the occasion. So if it's summer, it'd be a really you know, and you're in. In Italy, <laughs> don't know, you know, a cold Italian lager will will do it for me. Um, so yeah, I don't think I could pick one. I'm just, I'm always, I'm always hoping someone's going to see tenants, but we haven't, we haven't had it yet. So, ah, uh, you know what? If I was in, um, <laughs> if I was in Glasgow, <laughs> warm, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, you're, you're reducing your chances. Yeah, I was in Glasgow, oh. warm. I was a, sat on a park bench in Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for a fight. I'd have a warm can of tenant soup. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Well, listen, I'll let you get back to it and uh, go and cool down and, and open your doors and all that. And just say thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. And it's been great to put a voice to a name. And, uh, you know, obviously from enjoying your beers at the Foghorn, you know, it was it was a real treat to get intro to you. So thanks for that. And I just wish you well. And I'll be looking out for you, you know, when I'm out and about in terms of, you know, new things that you're doing and seeing where you're stocked and, and what's going on. And, you know, please stay in touch and let us know how your journey's going. Excellent. Cheers, mate. Nice to speak to you. Thank you. See ya. Great to speak to my new friend, Rick Garner, the MD of First Chop Brewery. I'll be off to grab some of the few cans of First Chop Lager and really get first dibs on those at the Foghorn in a few hours' time. Thanks to you for listening. We're seeing a real increase in listens and downloads. So please keep subscribing, sharing, rating and reviewing. We really, really do appreciate it. And thanks to everyone who gets in touch daily, weekly with their kind words of feedback, suggestions and support. Thank you. Massive thanks to Engage, our headline sponsors. If you need anything digital from apps to websites to SEO to social media and more, please get in touch with their founder, Alex, on alex at engageinteractive.co.uk that's alex at engageinteractive.co.uk and tell them that i sent you thanks also to bdo our premium partners for sponsoring the show and in these challenging times if you need advice on your finances in terms of your business looking at options to upscale or tighten things or merge or acquire then please get in touch with peter hemmington who's the national partner of m at BDO, and he's on peter.hemmington at bdo.co.uk. That's peter.hemmington at bdo.co.uk. Lastly, huge thanks to Gaz and Gabby, as ever, for putting the podcast together. I really, really appreciate your hard work. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off from another Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Bless you. Thanks for listening and I hope that this episode gave you some real value to help your brand boom.